Brilliant. It's great to be together this morning. We're, uh, uh, we've just started last week our new series, uh, In Christ, and in it we are unpacking the implications of the most common New Testament phrase for the followers of Jesus Christ, in Christ. And so I'm just going to read uh, some verses from Romans chapter 3, which is where we're going to be looking this morning. And so Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 24, and the words uh, behind me. This is what it says. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And it's that phrase that we're going to be looking at this morning. The redemption that we have in Christ Jesus. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the first two chapters, Paul uses uh, the phrase in Christ or in him uh, around 17 times. And as we explore what this phrase in Christ means... Over these coming weeks, we're going to encounter truths that are going to thrill our souls. And we're going to uncover truths, riches that are beyond our wildest dreams. Andrew Wilson, in his book, God Stories, he wrote a number of years ago, he sets the scene beautifully for what it means for us to be in Christ. He says that right now, each one of us are traveling at 60,000 miles an hour. Literally about the speed of a bullet, a bullet coming out of a gun. And we're moving at this pace through space, whether we like it or not. We can't do anything to stop it or change it. The reason is we're living on a planet that is bigger than us. And Earth is traveling through space at that speed. And so if Earth is traveling at that speed, so are we. All the Earth does benefits us. Andrew Wilson goes on to say, because we are in Christ, countless things are true of us that we have done nothing to cause and may not even be aware of. Each of them is only true because we are in him. Because we're in Christ, we are more blessed than we can possibly imagine. And today, we're going to be unpacking that phrase that I mentioned earlier, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The 16th century uh, reformer, Martin Luther, says of this passage and the, the verses where it sits, that it's the very central place of the whole Bible. 
The 20th century theologian Leon Morris says it's possibly the most single important paragraph ever written. But before we unpack this phrase, what does redemption mean? It's one of those words that we hear. What, what does it mean? The dictionary says that it's to recover by expenditure of effort. Making a single payment to cancel a charge or an obligation. To purchase the freedom of a person, to save, to rescue or to reclaim. Today, we understand that phrase. We use it. We can redeem club card points or air miles. We can redeem a mortgage by paying off the amount that's owed. That'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? We all love to be able to redeem your mortgage. We say someone has redeemed themselves from a terrible mistake by a subsequent act of bravery or brilliance or heroism. We comment on people's redeeming features which offset less uh, pleasant aspects of their character. It's a thread that we find in films like The Shawshank Redemption and Gran Torino. And in Paul's day, it was a word, it was a commonplace word that was used every day. It was on everyone's lips. It was a, a word they used in commercial transactions. The Roman Empire was a slave-based economy. And in the first century, there were about, in the Roman Empire, there were about 60 million people. And about 12%, they estimate, uh, about 20%, 12 million people were in slavery. So the buying and selling of slaves was a common feature in marketplaces. Slaves could only be released by the payment of money, a ransom sum, that covered the former owner's loss of work of that slave for however many years, that working years they had left. And the process was called redemption. This idea is deeply embedded in the Bible. As you go through the Old Testament, you see uh, that there was redemption from uh, incidents of accident, where someone accidentally killed someone else. It was a serious issue to spill blood, but there was redemption for someone who did it accidentally and it could be shown that it was accidental. And a ransom payment was necessary to cover the offense. We also see uh, in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers that every firstborn male and animal had to be redeemed because they belonged to God. And so there was a payment necessary for every firstborn male and animal. The phrase was also associated with buying back a family inheritance that had been sold because uh, people were in poverty or a family member who'd been sold into slavery. But more importantly, it's a phrase that's associated with God. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it says that God redeems his people out of slavery in Egypt. 
The prophets and the Psalms describe God as our Redeemer. And in Psalm 103 verse 4, it says, He redeems our life from the pit. The idea of redemption runs from beginning to the end of the Bible. We see it on at least 10 occasions in the New Testament. And so this morning, we're going to look at three things. We're going to look firstly at the weighty problem of sin. The second thing we're going to look at is the mighty power of God. And the third thing we're going to look at is the ultimate price that Jesus paid. So the first thing I want to focus on is this, is the weighty problem of sin. I don't know if, about you, but if you... Uh, know someone or work with someone or maybe live with someone who is uh, over tidy and uh, I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit on that spectrum I'm and it's quite hard work because I I want to tidy things up I want to straighten things I have been known to go into cupboards and straighten tins out and things like that so it's a bit of a, it's a little bit, it can make you uncomfortable being around someone who's a little like that. They're constantly straightening things and moving things off your desk. I want to say if that's uncomfortable, holiness is a scary thought. Holiness is a scary thought. God, the creator of all things, our creator, the Bible says, is holy. He is perfect. In all his ways. And he sees everything and he knows everything. He sees everything you do. He knows every thought you have and when you where you were when you had it. And he calls us to live, he calls us to live holy lives. He says, Be holy because I'm holy. And he's created us to walk with him. And he's a holy God and he wants to have a relationship with us. But he's holy and his holiness, the Bible says, is a consuming fire. So to be in his presence is a scary thing. He created us to be with him. And all that changed when we sinned, when we turned our back on God, when we chose to live without reference to him, when we chose to go our own way rather than the way that he's ordained for our lives. The Bible says that from that moment onwards, we were without hope and without God in this world. Paul says in these verses, but now, but now, God has revealed his righteousness to us, his holiness. He's revealed it to us. He's revealed what he's like. But how on earth can we stand, can we have a relationship with a God who is holy and righteous? Well, God has made it possible. He stepped into our world to redeem us. He took on Philippians chapter 2 says he took on human flesh. God's son, Jesus, became a man. And Jesus says of himself, when he came into this world, he came as the light of the world. And Jesus' life exposes 
what our world is like. It exposes what our hearts are like. As light comes into darkness and exposes darkness, Jesus has come into our world and he exposes the, the problem of our sin, the weighty problem of our sin. Our world is in a mess. Socially, it's full of broken relationships. Broken relationships between countries that were once allies in Ukraine and Russia. We've seen this week riots in France. In the last week or so, we've even seen breakdown in relationships between cricket sides. We see economically we're in a mess. We see the increasing divide between rich and poor across our country and across the world. We see environmentally we're in a mess. The devastating impact of famines and floods that seem... Uh, when we threw one, we're into another in another part of the world. And politically, we are in a mess. No one believes that there's a political solution to our problems. Someone once said the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Paul describes the problem as sin. He says we're all born in it. We can't rid ourselves of it or of its effects on our life. You may be sitting here wondering, well, what do you mean when you say sin? It's an old-fashioned word. What does it mean? Well, sin means a number of things in the New Testament. It's used in a number of ways. It means missing the mark. We miss the mark for our own lives. We don't even reach the standards that we want to achieve, let alone God's perfect standard. We just miss the mark. It means lawlessness. I mean, we all love laws and we can all say, oh yeah, you need to keep the law, but we want other people to keep the law. It's okay for us to bend the rules a bit. Lawlessness applies to other people, not to us. The Bible talks about unrighteousness, a failure to be straight, upright and true, like a bowling ball that you starts off straight but just curves off. There's a bias in it to go the wrong way. There is a bias in our hearts to go the way we want to go, not the way God has for us. The Bible talks about trespass, following our own will, not God's. God, God knows the way, the best way for us to live, and yet we choose, we think we know better. It's about our own feelings and our, our own identity and not what God says about us the Bible talks about iniquity something we know is inherently wrong in and of itself and we still do it we all know how cruel it is to gossip and say things about other people that are cruel and heartless but we've all done it Paul says We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And the, the tense, the verb, uh, the tense of the, the verb is, is the aorist tense. It means it's a once and for all act. We have all sinned. All of us. Whatever age, we are born into sin. We are born of Adam's seed, the Bible says. Born into his family and we carry it in our DNA. And Paul goes on to say, we are 
all sinned and we have fallen short. And the tense there is present continuous. It means we have fallen short. We are continuously falling short. And because we are born in sin, we continuously fall short of God's best for our lives and God's standard of the glory. We fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. Sin has a hold over us. We're enthralled by it. Enthralled by it. The word thrall refers to something that has power over us. So we are enthralled. There's something that's got power over us. For those of you who have seen the film The Matrix, it's about people who are living in a world that's enthralled. They're in control. They don't even know it. They're going about their daily lives, but they're being controlled by an outside force and they don't even know it. That is a picture of this world enthralled. The Bible says that the ruler of this world, the devil, holds us in his power. In Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in those who are disobedient. Sin has imprisoned us. We are born in bondage to it. We're slaves to our passions under the judgment of God. We can't redeem ourselves. The Psalms say we can't redeem ourselves. We can't redeem anyone else. We can't do anything about the problem. The 21st century Fleming Rutledge in her book, The Crucifixion, says this. The human predicament is so dire that it cannot be remedied in any ordinary way. The weighty problem of sin. What's the answer? The answer is found in the mighty power of God. When the second would be, just before the second world war kicked off, there was, everybody knew there was trouble afoot. There was difficulties and there were negotiations taking place around the world and they culminated in declarations of peace non-aggression pacts and promises but they all counted for nothing in the end a power that enslaves can only be overcome by a greater power and in the bible redemption involves more than just deliverance It involves liberation by a mighty power. Acts 26 verse 18 tells us that Jesus came to open our eyes so that we may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that we may receive forgiveness of sins. Jesus himself said you can only take possessions off a strong man and he's, there he's talking about the devil's control by first tying up the strong man to allow you to rob his house. I want to tell you, we are not living in a dualistic world. What do I mean? We're not living in a world of equal powers of good and evil and we hope that good wins out. We are not living in a world like that. We are living in a world that is overseen by an almighty God who is all-powerful. The devil is a created being. He is not all-powerful. We know the end of the story. God wins. 
the plan, God's plan of redemption involved God's plan of redemption. This was a plan that was decided in eternity past. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit worked out this plan together and then put it into practice when the time had fully come. Jesus, the perfect man, full of the power of God, we're told, came to deliver people from their wrongs. He came to put right all wrongs. He came to deliver them from Satan's control. And through the centuries, God's people had hoped for the coming of a redeemer. The one who would put right all wrongs. Job, if you've read the story of Job, Job was a man who had everything, then his world falls apart. Everything seemingly goes wrong. His children die. He loses everything. And he cries out in Job chapter 19, but I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth. That's been the cry of men and women through the ages that one day God would come and put right all that's wrong. And at the cross... And in the resurrection of Jesus, the power of God is displayed. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him. You were dead, but he made you alive by his power. And he forgave all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Jesus Christ demonstrates the power of God and he has tied up the strong man and he has set us free. We heard baptism stories last week. We heard stories of people who were struggling with mental health issues. And God set them free. God came alongside them and walked with them. There are story after story in this place here this morning, I know, where God has broken in and transformed people's lives, transformed their destinies, transformed the direction of their life was going, and it was going nowhere. And God broke in and gave them hope and a future. And he can do that for you today. And all that God's mighty power has accomplished for us, we receive by trying harder. No, we don't do anything. We receive it, Paul says, by grace. Unmerited favor of God. We're told we're justified, just as if we'd declared righteous before God by grace. Not by our efforts, it's through faith in Jesus Christ. Grace isn't cheap. The mighty power of God has been revealed, but grace is not cheap. A ransom price had to be paid. And the wonder for us this morning is the ultimate price that Jesus paid. If you've ever read Charles Dickens' book, A Tale of Two Cities, there's a, 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 a story within a story of two men, Charles Darnay, who's wealthy and has the woman of his dreams, Lucy Manette. 
and Sidney Carton, who's a lawyer, down a heel lawyer. And at the end of the, the end of the book, Charles Darnay is in French prison. He's waiting to be executed by the guillotine. And Sidney Carton, because he, he actually loves Lucy Manette, he loves her so much he's willing to swap places with her husband. And he goes, he sneaks his way in and he swaps places and Charles Darnay is freed. Sidney Carton goes to the guillotine. And as he goes to the guillotine, he says, it's a far, far better thing that I do now than I've ever done before. It's a far better place that I go to than I've ever been. It is a, it is a poor poor illustration of the wonder of what Jesus the price Jesus paid on the cross for us. The Romans said that to redeem another person required the laying down of an equivalent price. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, for even the son of man didn't come to serve but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' use of the word as, give his life as a ransom for many, what it means is, it means in place of. Jesus is our substitute. He took our place. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. How magnificent is that? What a price. We have been bought with God's own son's blood. As someone once said, the price paid is sufficient for the ransom of millions. This morning, are we thankful? Are we thankful that God has redeemed us, placed us in Christ? All that is Christ is now ours right standing with God. We can now have a relationship with a holy God because Jesus has made it possible. His blood has been shed for us. The price has been paid on the cross. Are we grateful? Are we eternally grateful for that? Maybe you've come this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus. You can submit your life to Jesus today. The price has been paid for you. But there's a cost to being a follower of Jesus. It means that from that moment forward, you have died to your old way of life. You're going to live for him. And so it's not about what you think anymore. It's not what the world around you tells us. You're living for a new master, one who loves you and gave himself for you. You can do that today as we break bread together at the end. Jesus ransoms us from sin, from all our wrongdoing, from its curse, and yet the reality is, for all of us, we still get it wrong. We still do things that we wish we hadn't done. Let me give you an illustration to explain what's going on. If you ever go to the Grand Canyon, and you see the Grand Canyon early in the morning, and it's shrouded in shadows, as the sun starts to rise in the sky, it starts to cast light, but there, uh, it lights up the canyon and you see it's staggering in its beauty and yet there are parts of it that are still in shadow because the sun hasn't reached its zenith, hasn't reached its height. 
Once it reaches its height, darkness is dispelled. Whilst our redemption has begun, there still remain pockets of sin until Jesus returns in his glory. You see, until then, Jesus redeems us from the guilt of sin, but not the stain. We still know what it is to feel grubby of knowing that we've let God down. And we know that we have to go and avail ourselves of his grace. God, thank you that I'm forgiven. We know there's no condemnation, but we know we remember the things that we've done. Jesus redeems us from the power of sin, but not its presence. He's brought the power over us. We are no longer enthralled to the things of this world. The power is broken, and yet the presence of it still has an impact on us. But it no longer reigns in our life. It doesn't need to reign in our life anymore. If you're battling with stuff, we overcome those things by repentance. We come to God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because Christ died as the atoning sacrifice, the sacrifice that covers for our sin. We are redeemed. Jesus is redeeming us into a glorious inheritance that will never perish spoil or fade hallelujah sin's weighty problem is overcome at the cross where God's mighty power is displayed we have been bought at a great price brothers and sisters the precious blood of Jesus how God loves us he loves you this morning if you leave this place with nothing other than that God loves me so much he gave his son for me, you've done well this morning. How precious we are to God. How much we owe him. Following Jesus is worth giving up everything for. Everything for. He is the treasure in the field that's worth selling everything for. He's the pearl of great price. There is no one like Jesus. That's why we worship him. That's why we so love to come to God in worship through Jesus. He's made it possible. We can worship the living God. What a privilege we have. What a joy it is for us to do that. The Puritan Thomas Watson wrote in the 17th century in his book, A Body of Divinity. He said this, the doctrine of redemption by Jesus Christ is the marrow, the quintessence of the gospel. It's the very heart of the gospel in which all a Christian's comfort lies. Great was the work of, of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In one there was but the speaking of a word, in the other the shedding of blood. The creation was the work of God's fingers, Redemption is the work of his arm. God's mighty arm is revealed at the cross where Christ died for you and for me. Hallelujah, what a savior. This morning, we're gonna come and we're gonna break bread together and celebrate what Jesus has done. We're gonna thank him for the cross. We're gonna thank him that we are redeemed. The power over us that held us is broken. We're free. 
If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up and they're going to lead us in a song and then John and Luke will lead us into breaking of bread. But as the band get ready, I just want us to pray. It's still our hearts right now. You know, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, now is a great moment. And then when we break bread, you can do it as a sign that you've put your trust in him. Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross, this brutal instrument of torture. Yet for us, it is life. Because at the cross, Christ died for us. The weighty problem of sin was dealt with once and for all. And we are free. We are forgiven. We thank you that the power of sin is broken over us because we now live in Christ with the power of God at our disposal. We thank you for this amazing sacrifice, this great price that's being paid for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who though he was in very nature God didn't consider equality with God as something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in human appearance and being found in human uh, appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross therefore God has exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And this morning we say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we say it to your glory, O living God.